Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Soccer Morning here, worldsoccertalk.com. Very weird morning for me. Lots of things going on today, but we do have an excellent program for you lined up. Uh, here we go. A couple of good guests. Neil Morris will join us to talk a little NASL, do a roundup from the weekend, the first week of the North American Soccer League season. He is uh, from IndieWeek.com. And then a little bit later in the show, the return of Andrew Mangan, Ars Blog's own Andrew Mangan. It's been way, way too long since we had the dulcet tones of Mr. Mangan on this program. And it is a good time to talk Arsenal Football Club based on recent results. Take apart, they take apart Liverpool over the weekend. I I can't remember the last time we had... Andrew on, it was a positive, uplifting, hey, things are going well for your team sort of conversation. Yes, I know they dropped out of the Champions League at the hands of Monaco, but still, eh, it's going well in the league for Arsenal. Why not talk about that win over Liverpool? Why not talk about the fact that they now are in second place in the Barclays Premier League? Now, I I, I know Chelsea's actually got a game in hand on everybody, and it's a seven-point lead, so chasing down Chelsea, very unlikely. But to see Arsenal in second place has to be heartening for all of you Gunners fans out there. So that's a, an ASL bit, a little Premier League bit. We'll mix in some MLS calls, some U.S. Men's National Team calls, whatever is uh, was on your mind today. And uh, just to let you know, we have uh, instituted a new phone system around here. So when I open the phone lines, and I'm not doing that now, so don't get your don't get it don't get started, don't start dialing yet. But when we do get to those phone lines. You need to call 646-832-3909. And I'm being told that uh, Neil Morse is now with WRAL sports fan in Raleigh-Durham. So there you go. I wanted to make sure I get that credit right. Apologies for that. 646-832-3909. Put it down. Write it down somewhere. Put it on your notepad. Put it in your phone, whatever. And that way you'll have it. Let's do, a, let's do some headlines ahead of Neil Morris joining us to talk in ASL. I'm going to start with yesterday's game in the Premier League. Manchester City falling to Crystal Palace 2-1. Glenn Murray, Jason Punchin score for Palace. Big, big blow to Manchester City and their title hopes. They've lost their fourth consecutive away game. Can't Just can't win on the road. And yeah, okay, so Sellers Park is a tough place to go and play. But you still, you're Manchester City. You're going to, to Palace. They're in a relegation fight. And Alan Pardew... Look at what he's done at Palace. Pretty, pretty stunning stuff down there. They've crawled, uh, crawled themselves all the way up to 11th. They were in a relegation fight. They're not in a relegation fight now. So obviously you have Manchester City taking a big blow to their, uh, to their title hopes. Just couldn't get it done. Yaya Torre scored for City to pull one back, but Palace held on. City are now nine points behind Chelsea, and as I mentioned before, behind Arsenal, who's in second place, and behind Manchester United, who's now in third place. Today's match in the Premier League, Villa hosting QPR. That game is massive in terms of the relegation fight. Villa in 17th on 28 points. QPR in 19th on 25 points. So three points separating the two sides. Right now, Burnley, QPR, and Leicester are in, your releg- in the rele- relegation places in England. But Aston Villa hovering just just above that line. Cannot afford to lose to QPR today. So a massive, massive game 
for the villains at Villa Park. So this this morning, we talk uh, consistently about FIFA and uh, the ridiculous nature of that organization and how they operate. And now you have one of the candidates for FIFA president, Prince Ali, calling for an investigation into the way that the 2026 TV rights were handed out. Now, if you recall, the 2026 rights were given, sold with a no-bid situation to Fox, uh, to, to uh, in, in the American market, excuse me, particularly because of the movement of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar from a summer window to a winter window. Here you go. This is from uh, ESPN. I believe this is probably from The Wire. Well, no, this is from ESPN staff, as a matter of fact. FIFA presidential candidate Prince Ali bin al-Hussein has told ESPN's Gabriel Marcotti, excuse me, there you go, that he wants to in- an investigation in how the U.S. television rights for the 2026 World Cup were awarded to Fox without a tender process or any discussion with the FIFA executive committee. FIFA General Secretary Jerome Bauke has said that FIFA did what it had to do to prevent any possible legal action from the broadcaster in relation to the 2022 right 2022 rights after the Qatar World Cup was moved to the winter. You also have FIFA presidential candidate Michael Van Pogg saying that the decision to hand the rights over to Fox was very strange. So, look, th- this is all a little bit of a hit out at Seb Blatter ahead of that election, which I think what is that this is it May, Trevor? The election for FIFA president I believe is in May. And I, at the same time, you cannot imagine that this is really going to do much damage to Seth Blatter's candidacy for yet another term as the head of FIFA. And part of that is because this news comes on top of the FIFA television rights kerfuffle from Prince Ali. The head of African football says his entire continent will backslap Seth Blatter for re-election as FIFA president next month. So there you go. Seth Blatter is somebody that not a lot of people like. Oh, wait. Okay, well, wait, hold on. We, we we said that not a lot of people like Seth Blatter, that people would like to see him ousted, except he has entire voting blocks in his corner. Issa Hatiu, Hayatu, excuse me, president of the Confederation of African Football, made this comment that the entire African, uh, African football contingent will be voting for Seth Blatter in his speech at the opening of its Congress in Cairo on Tuesday. Blatter was in the in the audience there. And Blatter, Blatter was present, excuse me. Hayatu referred to Blatter as Dear Sep and said CAF's 54-member countries would all vote for the 79-year-old Swiss in FIFA's presidential election in Zurich on May 29th. So good times. And I told you this several times on this program. Sep Blatter's going to be FIFA president again because he controls entire swaths of voters via his spoils system, via his handouts, via his, he's, he's curry loyalty. He is an evil genius. And the chances that he is voted out are very unlikely. Big game tonight in the CONCACAF Champions League, the second leg of that semifinal series between Liga, Aloualense, and Montreal Impact. The Impact taking 2-0 aggregate lead down to Costa Rica with a chance to advance to a final, the first to be the first MLS team to do so since 2011 when Real Salt Lake faced off against Monterey. We'll, uh, we'll, see, if, um, we'll see if Montreal can get this done. Clearly, 2-0 is not a great 
lead. We always thought that they needed at least one more. But this should be a fascinating game tonight uh, in Costa Rica. Two men suspected in attacking Fenerbahce's team bus in Turkey have been arrested. This comes in the aftermath of Fener saying that they were not going to play league matches as long as those responsible for the attack were on uh, were free. They wanted those people arrested. Now those people have been arrested. The story goes that shots were fired at the bus. The driver was hit in the face and hospitalized. And the Turkish League, in response to this attack, did suspend League and Cup matches for one week. We'll see if now if they get back underway there. Clearly, clearly not a good situation. And shots fired is never good. Let's take a break. When we come back, Neil Morris will join us. We're going to talk some NASL with him. It's been a little while. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on the show talking a little NASL with Neil Morris. You can find his work at WRALsportsfan.com. Neil, how are you today? I'm doing just great, Jason. Thanks for having me as always. Thanks for coming uh, back on the show. Talk a little North American Soccer League. Uh, you know, I'm... Uh, We've, we've had Bill Peterson on this show in the recent past, getting ready for the season, and it's finally underway. Round of games in the books from uh, this weekend. And I thought we'd just uh, we'd take a little tour around what uh, what you've seen so far. I, I think there's a couple of, we've sort of sketched this out before we came on the air, Neil, a couple of big stories that draw the eye if, if you're not aware of what's going on in the NESL, and that's Jacksonville's debut as an expansion team, clearly. Um, uh, you have Raul playing for the Cosmos. That's going to draw a lot of people's attention, obviously. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I think maybe the place we start is who impressed you most on the weekend? Well, when we start talking about, I guess, who or what, I mean, obviously, Jacksonville Armada getting 16000 to their opening game was impressive. Uh, you know, people can always get into how these people actually get in the park, but at the end of the day, they have to get into the park. Sure. And Jacksonville came out and hosted a, an FC Edmonton team that a lot of folks had had put high on their list of playoff hopefuls for the NESL. And frankly, they still may be, but Jacksonville went out. Um, you know, Jamal Johnson scored one goal in 19 appearances for the Cosmos last year. He went to the Armada and then got his first goal in 12 seconds uh, Saturday. <laughs> uh, so he's already ahead of his last year, last year's pace. Uh, and FC Edmonton, who a team that is known for their defense, uh, they, they, they gave up, I think, the fourth fewest goals last year in the league, you know, surrendered three to Jacksonville. So that, that was a, a surprise to many, although Jacksonville had a bit of an up and down preseason. They, they beat, they beat Philly union three to one, which probably looked more impressive at the time than it does now. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and, and then, but then they lost five to nothing to the strikers in, in a preseason. So Jacksonville's, I think, I think that's going to be their story. I think that the off the field, uh, success is going to be surprising and is going to be worth watching. Their on the field performance is going to be is going to be up and down. But the 
the one that surprised me, or at least the, that I'm most interested in looking long term, is the performance of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, they spent a lot of money, brought in Thomas Rongen, brought in a ton of, of talent, spent a ton of money. Uh, they go down to San Antonio, who, you know, a lot of people had, you know, they're the defending champions. A lot of folks thought that they would compete this year. Uh, some people that I know who are in the know don't put San Antonio or don't rate them as, as highly as, as some of the pundits may. But nevertheless, Tampa goes down to San Antonio on the road with a new team uh, and really, for the most part, thumps San Antonio three to one. Uh, and, and what's kind of amazing is that Tampa does it with, with a lineup that you don't necessarily expect. I mean, Chantofalski gets to start. Matt Pickens sits the bench. Brian Shriver, Martin Nunez don't even get off the bench. Brad Russin, uh, Macon Santos, and Gali Agbusamande don't even make the trip. Uh, so, you know, when you've got that kind of those, – those many options and you've got a coach that appears to be making some tough decisions – uh, a lot of folks were 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 looking out and a little bit scared of the rowdies, and after week one, they they've got every reason to to believe that. Yeah, certainly, Thomas Rongi does not have a reputation as being a guy who's going to shy away from those decisions. Uh, is there? I mean, he came on our show and and essentially said, "I don't know what I've got yet." Uh, if that if he doesn't know what he's got yet, and they've played they played one week and they've demolished the Scorpions and he's put uh, he's he's sat down several high profile players. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine why that would be scary for the rest of the league, Neil. It is. Uh, I mean one bad piece of bad news it appears they've lost Goss to Keith Savage for the year with an ACL injury. So that's a little bit of a hit to him. A midfield that if you I mean to me if you had to look at a, a, a weak section of their formation it'd be midfield. So losing anybody mm-hmm. uh, is gonna be difficult for them. But yeah. I, I guess it's an open question of whether that result tells you more about the Rowdies or more about the Scorpions. I suspect it's probably a little of both. Yeah. I think the Rowdies are stocked. I think they're good. Uh, they're much more professional setup. You know, they lost a lot of games at home last year for various reasons, but I, but I suspect that's going to change with some of the the improvements of game day atmosphere and everything else. I think it's going to be a far more uh, more of a morale booster for the team than usual. But the Scorpions, on the other hand. Uh, look like a bit of a mess. Uh, you know, Daryl Sadler didn't start a goalkeeper. They 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 started John Kempen, who's on loan from Sporting KC, and to me, he, he looked lost back there. Um, not a good game for him. And then, you know, they've got some good players: Billy Forbes and and Rafael Castillo and Eric Hosley, of course. Uh, but none of them really did much. Uh, Omar Cummings came on late and and notched a goal, and I suspect we're going to see more of him, but. I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of tumult behind the scenes with that team uh, that I keep hearing wow. below this that I keep hearing from various quarters. They are. Uh, they, so I think that bears watching. The club is on the market, or at least it's being explored a possible sale. Correct. Well, there's that, and you never know about Alan Marcina and whether he's being courted by uh, the Canadian national team. You've got. Uh, they've lost. They lost some high, some 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 good players. You know, Walter Restrepo was there last year, and, and he's gone, and and Greg Janicki is gone. So they they lost some some good talent. Uh, the team is on the market. Um, there's a few other things that I'm probably not at at at, li- at, at liberty to disclose. We're <laughs> already individual players, but you know, you never know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. It's still a great place to play. It's a great stadium, and and the fans come out. They had over 6,700 for the opening match. 
We'll see how it goes over the grind of the season, though. We've talked about the we've talked two about two of the three teams that scored three times in the weekend: Tampa, Jacksonville. The team that the other team that did that was Carolina in a three-one win over the Ottawa Fury. Give me a, a sense of where the Railhawks are. What the what that performance might say about both of those teams? Well, and that's the team I cover, so I was there at Wake Med Soccer Park. It was the the first game of the season, technically, because it was a one p.m. kickoff uh, to avoid the king of college basketball, which was a wise decision by the club, I suspect. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It, it, I, there's sort of a disconnect between the way I view the game and a lot of people who <laughs> who watched it through ESPN3 viewed it. I think they thought that Carolina got lucky and Ottawa still looked like a, a dangerous team. You know, to me, I thought Carolina controlled the game much more than I expected them to. They, they had had a short preseason. They only started the first week of March. Lots of veterans. I mean, the, the average age of Carolina has gone from 24 years old last year to 28 this year. That's a big story here. Uh, they've got six. They only got 19 roster players, and six of them are 30 and older. Uh, so it's an interesting dynamic with Carolina. And, and I suspect that, that the pros of that are going to be maturity uh, and and just professionalism, which is, is goes a long way in Division Two soccer, but the con is going to be a, a thin roster and health issues. <laughs> uh, but for the first game, you know, they came out and played the sort of the the tiki taka attacking style that they played last year, which frankly, with some of the turnover and personnel, I didn't think they would. I thought they'd resort to long balls, but they didn't, and I was gratified by that. Uh, the Fury played well. Uh, there was, I don't. Technically, they held more, a higher percentage of possession, but I think a lot of that is because they got down two to nothing, and, and you know Carolina sort of packed it in at some point. Uh, they felt hard, hard done by a couple of calls, uh, a penalty uh, in the first half on where T. Shipolani was upended that appeared to be outside the box that led to a Nacho Nova penalty uh, PK, and then late uh, when it was two to one, uh, there was. A pretty bad call, frankly, where Julian de Guzman appeared to be taken down at midfield. Everyone kind of stopped, assuming there'd be a foul. Uh, the whistle didn't blow, and the only person who didn't stop was Simone Broccolello for the Railhawks, who kept dribbling, who got the loose ball and dribbled through the defense and slotted home a goal. So uh, Mark DeSantos, the coach of, the, of Ottawa, was was none too pleased about the outcome of that match from, from an officiating point of view. But I, I thought Carolina played the better the better match and deserved to win. Now they go on the road to Edmonton this week, and that's going to be a, that's always a tough trip to make and a tough place to yeah. play. Uh, let's turn to the Cosmos, uh, a one nothing win on the road against Fort Lauderdale. But the uh, the big story was the debut of Raúl uh, in a Cosmos uniform. How did he look from what you saw and heard? And then uh, certainly, what does the win mean for the Cosmos down in Florida? Well. You know, I've, I've 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 got some decided opinions on the Cosmos. Um, it, I, I, I mean, it's great that Raul's there. Uh, you know, there were eleven thousand people in the stands for the Strikers, which to me is is almost the biggest story as anything else around the league. The fact that the, that the Strikers got over eleven thousand in, in Lockhart. Uh, Raul being there was probably a motivating factor. He came off in the fifty third minute. Uh, I think with some hamstring issues, which when you're his age is probably something that's going to reoccur throughout the year. 
you know, I, I don't know how much New York is going to be able to count on Raul from a production standpoint. He's certainly going to be a box office draw, and there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the Cosmos and what makes them so dangerous um, this year and last year is their defense. Everybody talks about Senna and Raul, and you know, Stokeland was their leading scorer last year, and they've signed Haji Wright, and they've got Adam Moffat now. But the heart and soul of that team is Hunter Gorski, Carlos Mendez, uh, Iozzi, and now Reversio, who didn't play a lot of last year. I mean, that is the best back line in the league. Uh, and they, and they, they pitched a, a clean sheet at Fort Lauderdale at home, who was playing rather well. You know, last year, the Cosmos sort of had this, this mystique of uh, at least the, the new iteration of the Cosmos of being this, this scoring juggernaut. I mean, last year, they were fifth in the league in goals scored behind Fort Lauderdale and Carolina. But they were second and fewest goals allowed. I mean, that's so sort of these grind out 1-0 wins is their bread and butter. And I suspect the reason I picked them to win the spring championship is because of their defense. And it's the envy of the league. I can tell you when you talk to coaches, that's that when you talk to coaches, they don't talk about the front line. I mean, they've added Walter Restrepo, which is a good addition, but they talk about the defense. So. You know, Raul is going to be a draw if he can click a goal here or there. That's good. If he, you know, if he if he's a draw that can get over ten thousand people back in Lockhart Stadium, that's great for the league and and well worth the investment. Uh, but from a wins losses point of view, that wall in the back is is where the Cosmos are going to succeed. Well, you sort of have to wonder if. Uh, you know, Savarese is going to have a problem with Raul at some point. I mean, you almost have to, you almost have to imagine that if he is, be, if he's not effective at all, if I mean, certainly age is a, is a thing for him at this point, and he may be quote unquote injured, even if he can technically play. If if they can't fit him into the lineup and be effective, I mean, that's a, that's a, I guess the question, Neil, for for Savarese is is how you balance going out and trying to win games versus how many people are sitting in, sitting in the stands. Well, I mean, yes, you're right, and but I suspect, you know, Carolina, the Railhawks have Nacho Novo, who's 36 years old, uh, but he's still a highly effective player. He's a starting striker, and he's a, and he's he's as, as good or better than anybody else in the team. What I'm saying is, at the end of the day, we're talking about you know second division American soccer. So will Raul at 60 percent be better than most of the other players yes, in this league at right. 80 to 90, yes. maybe. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but we're also, he's not also asking to shoulder the load completely. I mean, you know, I'm not Matt Stokeland is not a, is not a world beater, but he is the leading scorer from last year. He's a good player. Uh, who knows if, you know, lucky Cassano or, or Haji Wright may get into the rotation. Uh, and, and of course, Marco Senna is still there. Although I, I actually have more concerns about his, durability this year than Raul. Um, but, and, and you've got Walter Restrepo. So Raul is not being asked to shoulder the load. And if he can get a goal here and a goal there, you know, the players are going to pay attention to him because he's Raul. So, you know, from a performance and maybe even a strategic point of view, you know, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, it certainly uh, bears watching, but as you said, it's more than likely if, if he's, if he's able to play, he's going to play, and that doesn't require them to, to trot him out there for 90 minutes uh, either. There are other options uh, in managing his minutes. Uh, the last game of the weekend that we need to talk about is Atlanta and, uh, and Indianapolis. Uh, Silver Haw- uh, Silverhawks, I said do that, but that before. <laughs> the Silverbacks and the 11 play to a 1-1 draw. The only draw on the weekend. Uh, Indy 11 in their second year. Have you seen improvement there? And, and certainly what are the Silverbacks looking like right now? 
Oh, I don't know. I, I, you know, a lot of people thought Indy 11 would improve, I guess, just because of the inertia of their, their fans and Peter Wilt and their professionalism. I look at their lineup and, uh, and it doesn't do much for me. Uh, I, I mean, frankly, I still think they're going to be bottom of the near the bottom of the table. They may prove me wrong. I mean, they've added a few key pieces, but I mean, and, you know, they've got Greg Janicki, the aforementioned Greg Janicki, who's who's you know anchoring their back line now. But yeah, I'm not expecting anything. I actually thought it was a bit of a disappointment that Atlanta let that game go. It was a late. Uh, penalty in the 90th and then Don Smart for Indy 11 converted to PK to, to sneak out a draw. A lot of people are down on the Silverbacks this year as a general consensus. Uh, and of course they're league owned uh, and they're probably, you know, dead team walking with, with the MLS team yeah. looming on the horizon. But again, you talk to coaches and frankly, it's my opinion too. And this Atlanta Silverbacks team is sneaky good. Uh, so I was actually a, a bit, surprised that they didn't get a win uh but you know they're they're you know Stuart Seas their goalkeepers out with a with a knee injury so they had to rely on Rashawn McKenzie and goal who, who's not the same caliber their 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 strength is is sort of a frontline triumvirate of Hans Dennison Jaime Chavez and and Matt Horth but the only one who started Saturday for various reasons is is Horth he made way for Chavez in the 77th and Hans Dennison, who's been dealing with some nagging injuries, didn't play at all. So I'm not sure we saw uh, the complete Silverbacks lineup Saturday. And I think they're going to, and I may ultimately regret this, but I think they're they're much better than people believe. Gary Smith is their manager. He has won an MLS Cup. So I, I, I was a little surprised. I mean, if you talk about a surprise of the weekend, frankly, the fact that <laughs> – Atlanta didn't get a win at home over in the 11 was was the surprise to me. But I'd rather see how it shakes out a little bit as far as those those three frontline guys with Atlanta before we brand them uh, dead in the water or not. Neil Morris, WRALsportsfan.com in Raleigh-Durham, covering the, the Railhawks and, and NASL in general and doing a fantastic job. Neil, I appreciate your time. It's a, an excellent roundup. We'll see what happens in week two of the NASL season. Uh, and, and Minnesota United still hasn't played, so we'll see what they look like. Oh, and there's 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 two really good games this weekend. Uh, uh, Tampa, Minnesota goes to Tampa Bay, uh, which is going to be a heck of an early match. And then uh, there's going to be a, a new Florida derby. Jacksonville goes to Fort Lauderdale. So those those are the two that are worth watching, along with Indy 11 opening their season. You'll know, you'll know they have a big crowd. They're hosting the Cosmos. So, really, there's there's three big ones worth watching. And we will be doing that. Thanks for your time, Neil. Appreciate it. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, talk to Andrew Mangan from Arsblog about the rising fortunes of the Gunners in the Premier League. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. On the line with me now, Andrew Mangan from Ars Blog. It's been a little while since we talked to Andrew, but it's a, an excellent time to do so with the Gunners coming off of a big 4-1 win over Liverpool this weekend. Andrew, how are you? 
I'm well, thanks. Yourself? I'm pretty well. Uh, it's all all is fairly well in in uh, in Arsenal land at the moment. I imagine coming off of that victory and and the fact that Arsenal sits down in second place. And I'm looking. I, I'm navigated to Arsblog. Imagine that, Andrew. And I see a headline that says, "We won't catch Chelsea, but there's much to be positive about." I think that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, what's uh, you know from your perspective? Give me the positives. I think the positives are that Arsenal now look like a a genuine team a real team you know the the problem with the first half of the season was that um we were a bit too reliant on an individual in Alexis Sanchez to produce the squad wasn't balanced correctly there was uh, too many attacking players in the squad not enough defensive players and i think since the turn of the year uh, maybe just towards the end of december um w- when that balance was corrected then Arsenal have looked a much better side. And obviously there are, there are uh, players who've come back from injury who've made a big difference as well. But I think the balance of the squad is right. And I think when you look at the way the team is performing, for example, the, the, uh, the thing that struck me about the Liverpool game is Arsenal have won 4-1, but it's very difficult to pick one man of the match from that Arsenal side. And that's because everybody played really, really well as a team collectively and individually the performances were were very good so when you when you take that into account along with the record that Arsenal have got now i think it's something like 22 wins from the last 27 games even though there have been frustrations and certain results haven't gone our way for the most part everything is going as well as you could reasonably expect and that's been the that's been the thing all season, right? Getting uh, getting the whole team to play together the way that uh, that they are now. It, it clearly, uh, you know, clearly lots of talent within the squad, but it's a it's a matter of as you said, finding that that correct balance. Now you you give that over to things coming together in terms of of injuries. Everybody's healthy and fit. You give that over to Ar- Tarson Wenger making the the the, the correct uh, adjustments. You give that over to a couple of individuals, maybe changing the way that they play. What exactly is it? I think it's a combination of all of those things. For example, you have Mesut Ozil who's back in the side and and figuring out how to play with somebody like Alexis Sanchez. That's something that took a little bit of time, obviously because Ozil was out injured. Olivier Giroud coming back from injury and scoring 16 goals in 23 games or 17 goals in 24 games, whatever it is, something ridiculously good like that. You have players who were on the fringes of the squad doing nothing, and I won't say causing a problem, but certainly not doing anybody any favors by being around Lucas Podolski, Yaya Sonogo, Joel Campbell, who've been moved out on loan, and in their place, Gabriel has been brought in to provide center-half cover, and Francis Coquelin has come into midfield and given the team exactly what it needed in the absence of Mikel Arteta, uh, a, a real defensive presence, somebody who's added something to the team that was missing. And, you know, some of those decisions were obviously planned by Arsene Wenger. Um, when you look at uh, o- uh, Ozo coming in uh, to play with Sanchez, when you look at uh, Gabriel coming in in the transfer market, but you'd have to say that perhaps the Coquelin decision was one that he made because he had to. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes football is surprising like that, that you, you're forced into a decision that you don't think you're going to make you make the decision, it works out great, and here we are. Coquelin is the uh, recipient of a new deal from Arsenal. He's become a very, very important player in the team, and I think it's it's kind of great that football 
for all our cynicism, for all for all our analysis, and for all that everybody thinks they know everything about the game, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. um, it can still surprise you to the point where you go, well, God, I never saw that coming, and that that's the case. So it's a combination of all of those things. Speaking of um, uh, surprises, I suppose is not the right way to say it. Certainly, Arsenal always had the ability to to be where they are right at this moment, and and who knows how things will exactly finish, Andrew. But is there a is there a um, an uplifting element to the fact that that Arsenal is right now, whether it's because City fell off or or whatever the reasons are? Uh, is there an uplifting element to the fact that Arsenal's name is in second place? Yeah, as you said, not going to catch Chelsea. But this is Arsenal's been struggling to to cling to that fourth spot for the last couple of years, or or comfortably getting it, but still finishing fourth. Mm. That this has got to be, and again, it's not over yet. There's some time. There's some games. There's some possibility to to drop points. But for the time being, and the, with the possibility out there to finish second to to a to a pretty uh, a pretty dominant Chelsea team throughout most of the season, that would that would be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look in every season for progress. And uh, I think this season, there has been progress made by Arsenal, whether or not they finish in second or third or fourth. I think there has been progress made because we've addressed some of the issues that frustrated people in a, in a, in a big way. That namely being that Arsenal can't get results again, against big teams. And they've beaten Liverpool. They've beaten Manchester City. They've beaten Manchester United in the, in the FA Cup, uh, away from home against both those Manchester sides. Um, so I think there's, there's been some progress made there. Um, obviously you want to finish as high as you possibly can in the table. You want to avoid a Champions League qualifier because yeah. that, right. that plays a little bit of havoc with your, early season preparations. Um, you know, you've got two difficult games at a time when you're still maybe easing players back into fitness, you know. Uh, and it wasn't easy for Arsenal last season. I think it was only a goal from Alexis Sanchez that uh, that that saw them through, and it was precarious because the goal came at home and had, uh, was it Besiktas, I think? Um, they could have gotten away goal at any time uh, and gone through um, in a fairly heartbreaking way. So I think... You know, they've got to try and keep this momentum going. They've got to then look at how it is they improve for next season, how they start their season better, um, what the manager should be doing in order to make sure that the early part of the season like this one doesn't see so many points dropped. And I think that will be a frustration for many Arsenal fans is that the the points dropped in the early part of this season uh, and you look at the points in certain games, for example, Hull at home, Leicester away, Tottenham at home, you know, Arsenal could be much closer to Chelsea right now, but given the situation that they were in to be where they are now, I, I think you've got to give them a lot of credit for that. Uh, I'm looking here at the the fixture list, Andrew, and uh, you've uh, you've got Burnley coming up, but then the the uh, FA Cup semi-final against Reading, mm. Chelsea following that. So uh, there, you know, obviously there are some some significant games coming up in the month of of April. And you, there's still a chance out there to to uh, repeat as FA Cup champions, but there is the the Champions League to discuss a little okay. bit for all the for all the goodness uh, for all the good things we're talking about with Arsenal right now. There is the fact that they they fell to to Monaco in the Champions League. First of all, how do you? I don't know what you're dropping over there. Hopefully, I haven't Sorry. Sh- shocked you too much. <laughs> Um, you know, how do you contextualize that loss? Uh, how difficult was it to stomach? Certainly, the the home leg. I think with the benefit of hindsight, we have to put it down to a really poor performance at home against Monaco. Um, Olivier Giroud 
who we mentioned earlier, has been scoring goals for fun and he could have been out there for half the night, even when Monaco had gone home and he wouldn't have scored. He just had one of those nights. It was ridiculous, but completely at odds with everything we've seen from him this season before and after that game. So there was an element of bad luck there. For all the talk of Monaco's brilliant defending and what a great defensive team they are, Arsenal had a hell of a lot of chances at home and in the away leg as well. They had a, they, they're good chances and didn't take enough of those chances. And then I think when you make some defensive mistakes like they did, um, for maybe the second Monaco goal in particular is the one that sticks out as a defensive mistake. Um, followed by the, I think, pretty ridiculous decision to try and go for another goal after they got that late one back. It was like a perfect storm of crapness from an Arsenal point of view. Uh, in that home leg because at 2-1 they could have gone to Monaco and and I think they probably would have gone through but at 3-1 you leave yourself with a huge task um and so that that's obviously a regret and people might say well they can't handle the pressure they can't do this they can't do that and you know I accept that because there have been uh nights like this before from an Arsenal point of view I just think it was a really unfortunately timed bad night more than any deep-seated psychological issue or, or issue with quality within the team. So it's it's unlucky and it's unfortunate, um, but they also have to take stock and figure out how they're going to do better in Europe next season. I, and that, that's the difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, it, certainly the, the, the level of player Arsenal is able to sign is, is you know, in the top 1% of, of the world, and yet the the difference between progressing deep into the Champions League, getting into a semifinal or potentially a final, is razor thin. And if you have one bad day, as they mm-hmm. did against Monaco, it all falls falls apart. But then, how do you obs- assess these things, Andrew? How do you look at this squad and go, well, what we're missing is this, this, and this? And as you said, I mean, certainly the way that they've played in the in the league has given encouragement that they have taken a step forward. That this is a progressing team. Does that mean they're going to progress their way into something? better a final four appearance next season in the champions league or does it mean that they're still missing a, a excuse me a piece or two well i mean i don't look at the the squad of players that arsenal have got uh, and think that they're missing anything in particular that sh- the that prevents them from beating monaco do you know what i mean yeah you you don't look at the two squads of players and think well that arsenal side really needs a top goal scorer or it really needs this or it really needs that You know, the players went to Monaco and won 2-0 away from home. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're more than capable of beating Monaco. I think what they've got to cope with is perhaps the the pressure, uh, the expectation. Um, You know, they're not not a young team, Arsenal. There's some good experienced players in there, players who who can lead the team and should lead the team. Um, So I think, you know, they've they've got perhaps to... I don't know, it's so difficult to know how to what it is they need to to progress in Europe. Maybe if we talk about progression being made this season when when there's been a psychological issue with Arsenal beating big teams, like we mentioned City and, and um, Liverpool, Manchester United, etc. Maybe that's what it is when it comes to Europe as well, that you become almost accustomed to going out in the round of 16. But there's obviously something very different to going out uh, in the round of 16 to Monaco than going out to Barcelona 
or Real, uh, Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or yeah. or the other teams that Arsenal have failed against in in recent years. So, yeah. you know, I think you're right in in what you say that it's a razor thin. It's a very very fine line. Um, you know, you look at there was a a moment in the final stages of the game in Monaco where I think Giroud thought he'd scored and the goalkeeper just panned it away from from behind the line. What is that? Well, how did, how far right. did that ball not go across the line? Two inches, six inches. That's the difference. Mm. That's the difference I, I, between going through a knot this season. So, you know, it is. It's 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 uh, it's hard to say, really. I'm, and I'm sort of fascinated by the 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 pendulum swing that Arsenal goes through, and certainly, uh, you know, it can become this snarky uh, festival of of. Of, of jokes and 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 criticisms and and everyone laughing at Arsenal when it comes to again falling, uh, you know, failing at home and, and playing poorly, just having a poor day out at mm. at the Emirates in the first leg, and then the, the coming so close to overcoming that deficit in the second leg, and again that's the indication that our Arsenal has all of the tools needed to get beyond that that situation. But if they had, you know, if he had won one nothing at home. Um, you know, you, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to figure out: is it, would it be better from a fan's perspective to to play okay in the first leg and maybe win one nothing, or give up an away goal but still have a lead, and then go to Monaco and and somehow lose at at you know in France, uh, or sorry, not in France, mm. in the Principality, and, and uh, you know by a razor thin margin the other way in a game that maybe Arsenal doesn't provide that same sort of thrill and excitement. I don't know. I don't know which one's worse. I don't know either. I mean, neither of them are particularly pleasant, to be honest. You know, you'd rather go through. Um, sure, yes, of course. So, you know, but I mean, I think you have to look at it. Maybe there, there are frustrations that have been part of an overall story with Arsenal over the last few months or years, rather. You know, because um, more experienced Arsenal teams... Um, when Arsene Wenger first took over and, and was in his in the first few years of his his uh, Arsenal career, you know, teams with Tony Adams and Martin Keown and Patrick Vieira and Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry, they struggled yeah. in Europe. They had their problems in Europe as well. So I think there's there's just something that they need to get over, a little hump that they need to get over, because the quality, I think, is there to go further in Europe than they did this season, for sure. Now, I'm not saying Arsenal could go and win the Champions League with the squad that they have. Maybe they need another player or two to really challenge. And even then, when you're facing the likes of Barcelona or Real Madrid or or, uh, or Bayern Munich, you know, it's it's an outside chance anyway. But I don't think that their European exit this season is reflective of the quality of the squad. No, I, I agree with you on that. And, and I'm sort of, again, I'm sort of looking at, you know, I'm looking at the quarterfinal draw here and, and I'm, I'm picturing if Arsenal had gotten through and the likelihood they would have drawn someone like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. And, I, and it just occurs to me that there are maybe... You know, there are, there are maybe, and, and Atleti, this is why Atletico Madrid is such an amazing story and, and was last year, but there are maybe four or five teams in Europe that we honestly believe are good enough to navigate everything, and that includes a, a difficult draw at some other stage in the tournament before the final to navigate any potential injuries and ups and downs, and even some of these clubs that have managed to get to finals and, and, and reach the pinnacle and almost grab the prize have faded away since then. I mean, you'll get Borussia Dortmund in the season that they're having in, in the mm. Bundesliga. And it's just, uh, you know, and again, they, they did very well in, in the Champions League, but eventually got beat, beaten by uh, Juventus. I don't know if, if Arsenal, and I'm not saying Arsenal can't get to that level, Andrew. I'm just, it, it just occurs to me that, 
there's so many variables at play in that tournament in particular that it just makes it difficult to even imagine that someone besides Barcelona, Real Madrid, or, or Bayern Munich is going to lift the title. Yeah, I mean, that's they're obviously the clear favorites. But, yeah. you know, I think you have to look at it as well in that it's knockout football and anything, anything can happen. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, a bit too well the 2004 season when Arsenal really should have gone on to win the, the Champions League because they'd beaten, they were on their way to winning the league without losing a game. They were a, a fantastic team playing brilliant football and they were knocked out in the quarterfinal by... Chelsea on away goals. Um, it was a pretty heartbreaking exit. But when you looked at the rest of the teams that had been that went through that that um, that year, the final was Porto Monaco, if I recall correctly. Um, and I think Porto went on to win it. Um, Real Madrid had been knocked out in ridiculous fashion. I think some Monaco might have knocked them out by scoring three or four goals. Okay. You know, these things can happen in knockout football. So you've got to be, you've got to make sure that you're in there to take advantage of those, those uh, strange moments. But you know, this season is not the case for Arsenal. So they've got to figure out how to do it next season. Yeah, but that's a de- more than a decade ago, Andrew. And I feel like things have just stratified. Strat- no, no, no. I agree with you. I agree with you. But what I'm saying is that, um, even a decade ago, you would have said that it would be Manchester United or Real Madrid or, you know, one of, of those teams of that's going to be big favorites. Of course. But, but sometimes things, things go a funny way. They, they do. And, and, and the funny way that things are going for Arsenal again, looking strong in the league, um, with, with Chelsea having out, outpaced everybody likely for the title, which, uh, will be coming here shortly. But Arsenal also has a chance at, at, at the FA Cup again. Um, after last year's victory, after after winning that trophy, after having the drought, how important is to is it to win again, Andrew? Well, it's important to win a trophy because that's what that's what it's all about. Um, you know, the the there's something very solidifying and invigorating about winning things for a team, uh, for for the fans also, obviously, but for a team that can have the belief that they can go the distance in in a competition. Um, I think we're, we're seeing perhaps some of the benefits of that now in the second half of this season from Arsenal. Um, there's players who've grown in stature and confidence because of their involvement in a, in a title while a cup winning side. And I think when you're at the semifinal stage and the, the opposition isn't quite as strong as you would expect, a bit like last season also, so nobody's taking anything for granted. You know, you've got to fancy your chances of, of winning um, a trophy. When you're two games away from winning a trophy, it's it's uh, it's obviously becomes a big focus. But there's a lot of football to, to play between now and the end of the season. And, and there are other ways for Arsenal to, I won't say be successful, but to make progress. But look, you know, in the semifinal against, um, against Reading... Um, and, and like I say, nobody will be taking that for granted after what happened against Wigan last season because Arsenal were eight minutes from going out against Wigan. But, you know, when you look at it on paper, that's a game Arsenal should win. Then you're in the FA Cup final. Don't know who it's going to be. But, you know, when you're in the final, you're in it to win it. And um, if they can if they can win the FA Cup for a second season in, in a row and finish higher up the table than, than last season, then you've got to say it's a successful season despite some some frustrations. Andrew Megan from Ars Blog joining us uh, after a bit of a break. It's good to have you back, Andrew, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon about a, a, another Arsenal triumph, whether it's in the FA Cup or 
finishing higher in the table, whatever it might be. Hopefully have you back soon, Andrew. Appreciate your time. Uh, I'd enjoy that. All right, Thank take you. care. There goes Andrew Mangan. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to open up those phone lines. Again, get you going on that new system here. I apologize. Let me get the number because I haven't learned it yet. 646-832-3909. Call in now. See ya. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning with the phone lines wide open and ready to go. 646-832-3909. First up, Washington, who's calling about Chicharito. Hi, Washington. Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going? It's going well. All right. So, yeah, so I was reading this story on Young uh, Sports about uh, Chicharito possibly making a move to Major League Soccer. Now, I want to know what, you, what your thoughts were on that. First of all, I don't, I'm, I mean, I, I read it this morning, so I don't have it in front of me, but I wasn't sure if that was uh, uh, speculation or maybe maybe he's going to do it or should he do it or, or something like that. But if that happens, what, what do you think about that? I mean, the kids, I think, what is he, 25, 26 years old? Here's the thing about this story that, that – Look, Chicharito to MLS would be a massive coup for MLS. It would be huge. I don't care where he plays. He could play in Columbus. He could play in Colorado. He could play. It doesn't matter where he plays. He could be Chivas Chivas USA all by himself, and it would be a massive thing for MLS. (laughs) I don't know why he would do it yet. I don't know why he's got to have options. There are, there, there I are... can tell you why. No, but wait a minute. I can tell you why. Honestly, because I, I, I understand what you're saying. He's playing for our Madrid, and he has all these options out in Europe. But out there, he's a star. He, he gets lost in the sea okay, of stars. Right, right, forget, he really does. Forget Here, Europe. Then. He'll be the headliner. Washington. He'd be the, the man. Forget Forget Europe. Then why would he not just go back and play in Mexico? Same deal in Mexico. Even though in Mexico he still would be uh, lost among the, well, maybe not lost as, as much as Europe, but he still wouldn't be the man. He'd be one of the men. Here he would be the man, depending on what. Especially if you put him in the market, like let's say, let's say he doesn't do it now, but he comes in, in 2017 with uh, with LAFC and they signed LAFC. Oh my God, he would he would be on every newspaper every day. I, I agree. That, look again; it would be a massive coup for MLS. He would be a star here. I imagine he could make you know good money. He's making more than Josie Altidore or close to Josie Altidore money, if not more mm-hmm. than that. I mean, he's certainly worth more as a player, I think, than Josie Altidore based on his track record. Although he hasn't played. I mean, look, like, I, I'm just talking about in pedigree. He's from. He's played at Manchester United. He's played at Real Madrid. And he's, uh, you know, he scored a couple of goals. Obviously, he's not getting off the bench very much. I, I don't know. Again, I I would love to see it happen. And I'm even a fan of Chitarito. I'm I'm a fan of Chitarito, but I think you're looking at this. I think you're looking at this with hopeful eyes, Washington. I think that I can see the, I the longing in your eyes from here. <laughs> I don't know, man. Here's my caveat, though. Here's my caveat, and I, I want Don Garber to hear this because I know he listens to your show. Here we go. Just 
He can go anywhere in MLS, just not NYCFC. All right. Because I cannot, I cannot justify myself to cheer for him during an MLS game and then hate him during a national game. So he's not NYCFC anywhere else because I, I love the league and I want the league to grow, but not NYCFC. Okay, fair enough. There you go. Thanks a lot for the call, Washington. Take I care, man. Right. There you go. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Lawrence in Memphis who wants to talk U.S. women's national team. Lawrence, what's going on? Lawrence, are you with me? I don't see. I don't seem to have Lawrence. Let me. Uh, we will drop him. All right. Let's. Uh, let's. Uh, let's. Uh, let's move along here again. Six four six. What's the phone number? <laughs> six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine is your phone number. Jump on in. Give me. Uh, give me whatever. Whatever's on your mind today. It is a Tuesday. We do have Champions League in Concacaf going on. This evening, I, I watched a little bit of a video, Montreal down in Costa Rica, some, some Dominic Oduro talking. Uh, I think I saw something from uh, Dilly Duca. Look, it would be an amazing story for Montreal to advance past Alouelense and make it further down this tournament, considering none of us had them this far. Nobody thought MLS would be represented by Montreal at this point in the tournament. They are... They're, they they haven't really shown much in MLS yet either. And then look, you lose Justin Mapp. That's a major injury blow. They, they've had some issues there in Montreal. And yet you, you kind of have to give Frank Klopas a lot of credit for the way that they have navigated the season so far. So can they pull off this shock in Costa Rica? I'm not so sure. Uh, speaking of, of what Washington brought up with Chicharito Hernandez, um, this, this, in that vein, this, the issue of Mexican players leaving Mexico and playing abroad, addressed by Andres Guardado um, of PSV, some comments he made about Mexican owners treating Mexican players a little bit too much, I think he said, like Lionel Messi, treating them like they're, like they're so precious you can't let them, you, you can't let them go. I think this is an interesting thing, thing to consider and you wonder if MLS has the same mindset and is preventing. I'm not saying there's as much talent in MLS as there is down in Mexico. Clearly, not, it's not the case. But you have to wonder if players are um, being denied possibilities. I think that's probably the case. Right, let's see if I've got Lawrence back on the air. Lawrence, what's up? Uh, uh, this is actually Dom. This is yeah. Lawrence. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why. See, this is the new call. We have a new call <laughs> screening system. So, so Trevor has already screwed up. That's one strike, Trevor. You get to three, and we're gonna have some issues. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Uh, Dom, what's going on, Dom? Uh, it's all good. Uh, nothing much. Um, you know, I just wanted to talk about. You know, we didn't. You, get, you didn't get to touch on the uh, San Jose and the RSL game uh, yesterday too much. Um, but I had a question for you. You know, uh, Matias Perez Garcia. Um, has been in our midfield so far this season, but this season being fouled quite a bit. And something I noticed against RSL yesterday is that he wasn't getting the same amount of calls as uh, someone like Morales was. And so for a lot of us fans, a lot of us Earthquakes fans, that kind of attributed uh, to the difference in the game, that, that 1-0 you know, scoreline. So I, I wanted to see from your opinion, um, why do you think it is that MPG and some of the other Quakes players aren't getting those fouls called like some guys like Morales. I think first of all, Javier Morales gets fouled a lot and, and, and those don't always get called. I think he probably deserves a little bit more protection than he gets. I think this league doesn't do a, a good enough job of protecting creative players anyway. 
So that's something to consider across the board. As for this, the Quakes, I, I really don't have any particular insight as to why the Quakes might not be getting calls, Dom. I mean, I, if you see that from your perspective, and, and let's, be, let's lay your biases on the table here, you see that from your perspective, I'm not going to refute it because I haven't gone back and counted the fouls. I haven't looked at the stats. I don't know exactly what's going on when it comes to, um, when it, when it comes to the Quakes and the number of fouls they are or, not, or, or are not getting. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I'd I mean, say that's fair. I, I look, I, I, no, no, I, I would, I would definitely say that's fair. I, I just think, I just think that you know, with the referees that we have here in the league, it, it's a bit interesting. I mean, if you could go look at the stats, you know, MPG got fouled more than anybody else on the pitch that day, and the number of times you know a referee didn't make a call going his way compared to someone like Morales is just a bit interesting. You would think that the refs would take a look at you know the guys actually being you know injured on the on, on the pitch in comparison during the match, but but I hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it. Look, refer. We know officiating refereeing is an issue in MLS over uh, overall. Period. End of story. There needs to be, there needs to be consistency. There needs to be. Look, I would I would be okay with more whistles for softer fouls, but that's not the tradition Agreed. that holds in MLS. The tradition that holds in MLS is that this is a physical league, and yeah, you're going to whistle for rough fouls, but for the most part, we're going to let these guys play it out, and that creates a an expectation. That I can go in hard and I'm not going to get whistled, and then you know again some of these players start whining, complaining, and the in the the referees instead of giving them more calls actually go in the other direction. It's it's a difficult thing. I mean, there's a lot of psychology involved, Dom. I, I don't have any insight into that. I'm not a psychologist. I wish I was. Thank you. Right, no, man. I love your point. Thank you. I appreciate it. you. Have a good day. There goes Dom uh, six four six. Uh, six. I see had it in front of me. I lost it again. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine is the phone number. Again, write it down, and I'll start learning it. We've got uh, a screener now. You can talk to producer Trevor. How exciting is that? You can get producer Trevor, and uh, you can tell him what you want to talk about, and he'll uh, <laughs> he'll he'll take your information, and he'll put you in the handy-dandy call screening system, and then I'll be able to get you on the air, and we'll be able to talk about whatever it is that's on your mind today. Whether it's, uh, again, whether it's um, uh, MLS, U.S. national team, or if you're Rick in Philly, maybe it's Ajax because you didn't get to talk about Ajax yesterday because we went on a Philly bitch fest. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that is why I wanted to call. I didn't get to talk about Ajax Utrecht. Um, yes, which is, so by the I, way, I, this is actually worse than the Philadelphia situation for anybody who doesn't know what happened in Ajax Utrecht. Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. It's more the idea that PSV is going to win the title and then sell off their entire team. But that's but that's the way that that Dutch football works now, Rick. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> it's the way the Dutch football works. It's not the way the Dutch football is supposed to work. Anybody who followed it understands what happens is Ajax wins the title and then sells off all their players. <laughs> PSV winning the title and selling off all their players that that's just antithetical to the whole notion. That's not how the machine works. Yeah, and then we've come back to the we kind of, you kind of brought me back full circle with Andres Guardado in the news for his comments about Mexicans. League owners, and he's obviously at PSV playing well, getting TFO'd by the fans there. Um, it, it, give me your sense so far. I mean, we we haven't able we haven't been able to grab Peter McVitty to do a, an overview of of uh, the Eredivisie recently, Rick. Since you're on the air, since you are a, an Ajax fan, give me a sense of what's what's been going on this season. Well, it's a generational shift at Ajax. The last uh, when Ajax has won the last three titles. And when uh, Frank DeBoer took over the team, he inherited uh, he inherited a really solid core that was just coming into 
what I'll call their early prime or their era to be prime, which for anybody else would be the very, very beginning of their career. But over the last couple of years, they've sold Jan Vertonghen, they've sold Christian Eriksen, Cindy Young. I mean, the first uh, Frank DeBoer's first game in charge of Ajax was the last game that Luis Suarez ever played, to give you a sense of it. Um, now that generation is gone. They've got a good, good young core of especially midfielders that have come up, especially Davy Klassen, if you saw... Uh, Netherlands, Spain, he was one of the stars of that friendly last week. PSV has sort of been nipping at their heels the last three years, and with this generational change, you've now got PSV with Adam Maher and Memphis Depay uh, who have that edge right now. They're going to have to sell off their entire team, though, this offseason. Depay is probably going to the either the Bundesliga or uh, the Premier League. Maher might move probably to Germany. It's, you know... It, it, it's the continuing unsettled nature of the Eredivisie generating all this talent and not being able to progress in Europe because they don't have the money to hold on to it. Well, I mean, again, that's, and that's what I meant by that. That's the state of Dutch football right now, Rick. And I don't know that there's ever going to be a fix. We're never going to see Ajax on top of Europe the way that we did 40 years ago. I just don't know how that's ever going to happen again. And that's because of the money. And that's because the the Dutch league doesn't generate the type of revenue that the Premier League and the Bundesliga and even Serie A and La Liga do and and you don't obviously you don't want that look I know as an Ajax fan I'm sure you'd be happy with every title going to Ajax and there are they are traditionally the big club there but there are other clubs and you'd like to see PSV be able to to uh, compete and Feyenoord be able to compete and if that's the case and you want some sort of competitive balance then you can't you can't have all of the money being sucked down to one club. No, no, that that's absolutely true. And Ajax does have a huge competitive advantage, relatively speaking. But but what it comes down to ultimately is that Ajax has produced over the course of Frank DeBoer's time in the league, uh, as a manager, I should say, a club that could win Europe. It's just that that club is now playing for half of the teams in Europe. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Rick, appreciate the phone call, man. Going to move on. Little uh, little Ajax talk there. Let's uh, let's talk to uh, David in Arizona. David, what's going on? Hello, interest and Ajax. What's going on, David? No, I'm just going to say, you know, real quick before I get to my main point, I just want to say that uh, many times I've called in complaining about the level of play in MLS, but I got to give it to Javier Morales on that on that goal. I mean, scintillating, orgasmic uh, <laughs> technique. I mean, to, to hit the, to hit a ball that way. I mean, take a look at it again if you haven't seen it. And the ball comes in high enough to him off of that wall that he can't he can't strike the ball by hitting it just straight on. He's got to kind of lean and hit it toward with the part of his leg that allows him to control the trajectory of his shot. Absolutely perfect technique. Perfect. Uh, to pleasure to see stuff like that. But anyway, I was just talking about Carlos Julio. And I want to say, you know, I've heard the story that maybe he's going to come back to MLS. Now, I hate the league structure. You know me, Jason, I like promotion and relegation, blah, blah, blah. But if the league is control, in control of contracts, then I demand that the league, if the Colorado Rapids are considering signing this guy, that the league step in and make sure it doesn't happen. You know, a 37-year-old guy with multiple knee operations, uh, he's going to come in here as a defender. He's going to get Whipped. Okay, I, I, and he just—that just talk about retirement. You know, please, I, I, Don Barber, I, I stop that. David, David, I am with you a hundred percent on this. You can't, you, you can't have a player who actually retired come out of retirement to play in MLS. You can't. I don't care if he's good enough, and I don't think he is, or at least he wouldn't be 
so he wouldn't be consistent enough in terms of uh, uh, of health, in terms of fitness, to be a major contributor with the travel, with the heat, with the turf, all of those things. But even if he was, he retired. You can't pull him out of retirement and sign him up without the league looking bad. And I'm so I'm totally on board with you with, with this. By the way, the Denver Post is reporting that there's been no offer from the Rapids. So uh, according to a source, so maybe we we don't need to get excited about this yet, David. Okay. All right, there you go. Appreciate the call, David. Let's uh let's move on. Let's, oops, let's talk to uh let's talk to Zach. What's going on, Zach? Jason Davis, what's going on? I'm calling from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah, what's going on in Williamsburg today? Jason, I want to talk about esports and about KSI. When is an American going to become a FIFA icon like KSI has? I have no idea who that is. I know what esports are. Vaguely, I, I you know who is, Jason? No, I don't have you know. watched the Vice documentary? No, I have not watched the Vice documentary. I, I suppose I should do this. I like FIFA. I haven't played in a while. I don't own a system myself. I, I'm an old man over here. Trust me, I don't. Oh, the, Jason, come on! Don't tell yourself shit. You're I, nothing. You don't look a day past thirty-one. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. No, I, I, I've been called old because I don't get the, I don't get the, uh, the interest in esports as a. As a spectator event, that's what I don't get. Um, I understand that people play these things, these games, for a lot of money, and I understand that you know there's various tournaments for various games. I know FIFA's huge. We've got some guys out there, <laughs> Zach. I know. Never mind. Uh, Case, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just things just came together for me. Case, I as uh, I don't know who that is, but I will. I will try to catch up. What? What else? Uh, what? We're gonna talk FIFA. We're gonna talk about why no American has won what now. So Kaysai is this uh, esports celebrity in England who only plays FIFA, and he's like not even that good at FIFA, but he's literally a millionaire because he's just like an entertainer whose platform for entertainment is playing FIFA and being like a crazy dude. So my question for you is, when do you think soccer culture in the United States will grow to the level when it can support that kind of a thing, when you have like the secondary and tertiary entertainment markets for the sport where it's that big? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, a generation from now, probably. I mean, we're only in the we're only now in the generation where, you, you know, it's people who like soccer are having kids who like soccer. So let's get to, you know, let's get to another generation where it is so entrenched and it's it's you know it's it's grandpa likes soccer too. Before we can consider stuff like that happening. Fair enough, Jason. That's all I got for you. I look forward to calling in another couple of days. I appreciate the phone call, <laughs> Zach. In uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting, Zach in uh, in Brooklyn. What's going on, Robert? What's going on? Hey, good morning, Jason. I just wanted to talk about um uh, tonight's uh, CCL match with Montreal, and I just wanted to get your take on um. Uh, I feel worried that Montreal's uh, two goal lead isn't going to be enough because we've seen in the past, like you know, LA, Seattle, KC, they've all taken leads and they've all given up their lead was like literally within the first five minutes. Uh, do you think that's going to, how, how they act or how they play within the first 10 minutes and then dictate how they progress, well, whether or not they progress look, or not? Robert, they absolutely have to keep from conceding a goal in the first 15 or 20 minutes. If they concede then, then they, the rest of the match is so frantic, so desperate, so much about defending, defending, defending that I, I don't, I don't think they can withstand that pressure. They get out of that first 20 minutes and let's say that they manage to, you know, actually take a little bit of the game to Aloualense, which I don't know that if, 
I don't know if they will a lot, but certainly they can get out on the break a little bit. They're going to have they'll have their opportunities. I imagine they might even be able to create a chance or two. They have to take those. I just don't know what what Kopas do, I don't know how he should play this. I don't think you can bunker for 90 minutes on the road in Costa Rica. No, cuz I don't think that's going to work. No, I don't either. So so what do you do then? Do you, if you if you're are you going to put eight behind the ball and maybe try to keep a, a guy's, you know, to outlet and, and try to get on the break? If you got a Dom Duro in the game that creates a problem for the Liga defense, they absolutely need to crack Dom Duro's speed. But I don't trust Dom Duro to put away his chances when he does get them. So I don't know what to, what you do. All right, again, guess we'll, we'll find out we tonight. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Jason. We will. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap that up with Robert. Uh, the uh, the new phone number again, new scro- phone, ah, phone screening system. We're working this out. You get to talk to producer Trevor, 646-832-3909. It looks like we may have slowed down on the calls today, but uh, we'll continue to use this system moving forward. Uh, you got the number now. You can uh, write it down somewhere. Uh, it's not as cool as our old number in terms of uh, the, the, the what, what's the, the alphanumeric key? situation but it works it gets you uh gets you in get you lined up and we get to you probably quicker and more efficiently than we did before which i think is a big advantage 646-832-3909 uh but it looks like we've uh, run out of calls for today look forward to that champions league match tonight montreal uh in costa rica try to protect that two nothing league we've got plenty of things to talk about tomorrow as well i'm sure we'll line up a couple of excellent guests thank you very much today uh, to our guest, Neil Morris from WRALsportsfan.com and obviously Andrew Mangan from arsblog.com. Uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. You'll see the phone number and everything else we, uh, we, we get out during the show, but we also tweet some stuff uh, in off-show hours. You can follow me at DavisJSN. You can get yourself a Soccer Morning coffee mug at backheel.com slash store. And we have a t-shirt over at 3NLFC.com as well. Uh, that, sh- uh, that you should uh, check-, check out as well. It's very cool. All right, that's it. I think I'm done. I think I'm out of here. Thank you very much to everybody who called in. If I didn't get to you today, we'll get to you tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. See ya.